right, good morning, everybody. Okay. I know the last time, I guess I was up a couple weeks ago, we talked about time, passage of time, and all that, because it was New Year. Made sense. <clears throat> oh, thank you. <laughs> all right, well, praise the Lord. Yeah, you know, it's a great thing the technology God invented that uh, <clears throat> can't even imagine all the great messages that were preached throughout the centuries that went right into the air, you know. I mean, they, I guess, tried to transcribe some of them or write them down. But <clears throat> we have inspired scripture that contains all the things we're ever going to say anyway, uh, and that's that's from God. So, but... In Galatians chapter 4, in Galatians chapter 4, it tells us in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The fullness of time. That means when the time was right. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. You know, God speaks of things, even those things that do not exist as though they did. That's one of the characteristics of God, omniscient. We think of God and the Bible talking about eternity. God can see eternity like looking at a wall. He can see this end of the wall, that end of the wall, everything in between all at the same time. <clears throat> Many times prophetically when God speaks, he speaks of things as one event. Yet we know they span millennium. But God speaks of it as one event. Well, we can't hardly wrap our little finite mortal pea brains around those kinds of things. We have to take them at face value from the scripture because it's truth and scripture can't be broken. <clears throat> it's okay. It's okay. But Paul, speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, made it clear But. Christ came into this world in the fullness of time, at the proper time. Yet, we know from Scripture, Jesus exists through the whole entire uh, Bible, you know, the whole time from in the beginning, when the earth was dark, without form, void, darkness. You can't get any more beginning than that. All the way to the last book, Revelation 22, come Lord Jesus. We get the whole picture God has given to mankind from when, you know, because the Bible's pretty clear. The earth did not exist before, and the scriptures are clear, it won't continue. It ends. The earth ends. And all that's seen, heaven and the earth pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt. 
with a fervent heat. We get this whole picture from the Creator, and He speaks about these things almost as one event the fullness of time. You can turn there in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form, void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now, we're going to package this as well as other scriptures. This is really the first prophecy of Christ. You might think it's Genesis 3.15 when God told the serpent I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed you shall bruise he shall bruise your head but he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel in other words he will kill you he will crush your head you'll wound him He's going to kill you. That is a prophecy of the Christ. But technically, Genesis 1-3, and that's the one we're going to look at here in a minute. And God saw the light. It was good. He divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. Darkness he called night. It was evening, morning, first day. Now you know from verse 14 when God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven, dividing the day from the night. Let them be for signs, seasons, and days and years. We talked about that a couple weeks ago for marking of time. Time is a physical thing. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. It was so. God made the two great lights, a greater light to rule the day, the sun, lesser light to rule the night, the moon, and he made the stars. Verse 19 says, So it was evening, morning, fourth day. So the let there be light of day one has nothing to do with sun, moon, stars. So we have to look and see, well, what is the light of Genesis 1-3? It says that God also said, verse 26, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and give him dominion over the fish and the birds and the critters. So God made his own, or made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. I would submit to you that's a prophetic perfect. Meaning this is exactly what he's going to do. But not until the fullness of time. The man coming out of the dirt had no knowledge of good or evil. Is that, is that the image of God? Because we know God has no physical form. So the guy coming out of the dirt is not the image of God. That's what he made Adam out of the dust of the earth and made Eve from his rib. You know that story. But it won't be till the fullness of time. At the right time. That's where everything was pointing. The 
Hebrew writer refers to it as the apex of the ages, the high point of the ages. That's what it's all about. You see, God's working a program. Always was. God didn't piece this thing together as he went. Because, hey, you know what? If you step back and just look at the Bible, what? It reads like a plane crash, man. Yeah, he created day one, day two, day three. It's good, it's good, good, good. You know, creates a man, very good. Yeah, then he says right here, and you know, you turn a couple of pages, and God saw that the wickedness of uh, uh, man was great in the earth, every intent of his thought and of his heart, evil continually. Noah, build me an ark. You know, for, I mean, if you're looking at me on tape, maybe you can see what I'm doing here. But if you're not, you're listening. I'm holding from Genesis 1, where everything was good, 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 to build me an ark, which is Genesis 6, with, between my finger and my thumb. And God destroys all the living things on the earth, except Noah, the eighth person, and uh, uh one of each kind, seven of the clean ones, critters. That's it. You don't see good things happening again. Noah's descendants populate, and then in uh, Genesis 12, he calls Abraham, says, I'll bless all the families of the earth through you. But he said, at first, your descendants are going to go into captivity. And bitter bondage. So we look, we see. That's Egypt. They're not delivered by Moses until 430 years later. God trying to lead them out and bless them with the new life. They rebel against God and he destroys them. Jude says, I bring this to remembrance. You, you once knew this, how God, after he saved the people out of Egypt, afterward destroyed them, didn't believe. Who? His, his people. God's people. Who believed? Joshua and Caleb. Two? Out of 603,550? God's people? Man, this ain't going so good. You got Noah. You could fit eight people in a rowboat, let alone an ark. What's happening with God's plans, man? Later on, you know, he does lead them finally. Joshua takes the land, and then they go. They have judges for 450 years. They're not faithful. God's destroying his people again. And then you get right on into uh, kings and chronicles. Very few, no good kings of Israel. Some good kings of, of Judah. The Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. And then God puts, takes and destroys the uh, southern kingdom of Judah. And, uh, you know, starting in 607 down to 597, 586, the final destruction of Jerusalem and the temple is gone. God's people, again, in captivity, bitter bondage for 70 years. 400 years of silence. Then a star appears. That's, you know, the Christmas thing went through that. Oh, happy day. Uh, the, the Christ, the child is born. A son is given. All right. Herod sends soldiers down there and kills all the baby boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. Yowzers. 
He appears 30 years later at the Jordan River. Now we're talking. All right, he's here. Now we're talking. Next thing you know, God's people got him hanging on a tree, dead, crucified by the Romans, per their request, of course, God's people. Like, God, what happened to your plans, man? But death can't hold him. Third day, he rises from the dead. Then he ascends, takes his power position at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now we're talking. Peter preaches the first gospel message. Church begins, 3,000 souls baptized into Christ on day one. Now we're talking. Things are going now, but persecution rises. And we see that in chapter 7. First martyr, Stephen, is stoned. Great persecution against the church of Jerusalem. This one crazy Saul of Tarsus. They're scattered everywhere, but they go preaching the word. And we get into our epistles, some good, some bad. Galatians going back under the law. Corinthians are fornicating, taking each other to court. The church is doing that. And the Bible ends in the book of Revelation. We see, you know, the assessment of the New Testament church in the first century to seven churches in Asia Minor. Not so much good to say to five out of the seven. He warns them, if you don't repent, I'm going to put your candlestick out. They're gone. They're gone. In fact, the two remaining ones that were faithful are gone. Historically easy now. There's your Bible for you. <laughs> like I said, it reads like a plane crash, doesn't it? Or does it? You see, really, it's right on schedule. It's exactly what the prophet said. That's good. It's good. The Gospel of John starts out the same way Genesis 1 starts out. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Let us make man in our image. Who's the let us? God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In him was life. The life was the light of men. He was the true light. The light that gives life to every man. Coming into the world. Verse 14 says, That word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Who came into the world in the fullness of time, when the timing was right. You know, there's a, lot, a whole lot of human history between the Genesis account and this context in the Gospel of John. Of course, when this is written, Jesus is already crucified. You know, he had his earthly ministry and he uh, was crucified but and buried, resurrected, and now seated in the power position at the right hand of the majesty on high, ever liveth to make intercession for us. He was in the beginning with God. In him was life and he was the light and the life was the light of men. Let there be light. He was the true light. 
and now born of God. He came to his own, which means to the Jews, because he was Jewish, to the Jew first, also to the Gentile, the Greek. Verse 10 says, he was in the world, the world was made through him, the world didn't know him. He came to his own, the Jewish people. They did not receive him, but as many as receive him, to them he gives the right or the power or the privilege to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born, not of blood or will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God, born again. Whosoever will, to whosoever receives him. No longer born of woman. Jesus made it clear, of those born of woman, there's not risen one greater than John the Baptist, he said. But he who is least in the kingdom of God will be greater than John. Now, if so many people out there today in Christendom do not understand the kingdom of God that was prophesied to come is the church of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body, the church. It's a spiritual body. It's also called the temple. Do you not know you are the temple of God? That the Spirit of God dwells in you, Paul writes to the Christians. If anyone defiles the temple of God, him God will destroy. Because the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. The Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, speaking of Jew and Gentile, he broke down the middle wall of separation of the two, made one, that he may, verse 16, Ephesians 2 and 16, that he might reconcile both to God, Jew and Gentile, in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He came and preached peace to you who are far off, that's Bible talk for Gentiles, and those who are near, that's Bible talk for Jews. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers, you Gentiles or foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You have been built now upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom the whole building, this house of God, this temple, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built notice the ongoing action there together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit Peter would call us living stones built up as a spiritual house these are metaphors we got to get the picture get the picture You see, this is the fullness of time when Christ came in the world. This is the apex of the ages. I'll just give you this. I'm probably going to get there anywhere. Anyway, it's in my lesson somewhere, but I'm not even sure yet. <laughs> but in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul said, and we're going to look at this later. Now, all these things happened to them. This is the examples of the Old Testament the Jews under God's covenant in the Old Testament and how it didn't go well, did not go well. All these things have happened to them, Paul writes, as examples. They're written for our Christian, Christian admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. At verse 11 there, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. We're going to come back. 
But when Paul referred to that, speaking those examples of for us, and we are those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. This is the fullness of time. This is the apex of the ages. This is what it was all pointing to, the time that Christ would come to accomplish his mission for the glorification of God and our salvation. Do you realize I said there was a lot of history? There was 1,500 years between the time Moses received the covenant and Jesus came. Abraham is 500 years before that. So that makes it 2,000 years before Christ. And from the time of the creation, the flood, and Moses... Or the promise to Abraham is 2,000 years. So by the time Jesus shows up physically in the fullness of time, born of a woman, to redeem those that were under the law, 4,000 years. About four days for God. This stuff blows our minds when we really realize God is working something and it involved us and when did it actually involve us well according to Ephesians chapter 1 just as he chose us Ephesians 1 4 Ephesians 1 4 Paul writes speaking through the Holy Spirit just as he got chose us in him, Jesus, when? Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Do you realize the scripture says Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world? That he already, before, before, but... Before the foundation of the world is like before the Garden of Eden. There was no earth. There was no heaven as we see in the, in the, in the second heaven. You know, Paul said I was taken to the third heaven. The first heaven is where the birds are flying. How the Jews understood it. Second heaven is where the celestial moon, stars sun the third heaven is where God's at it's not even this dimension I mean I don't know how to understand all that stuff chosen in him when before the foundation of the world before the garden of Eden that we would be what holy without blame before God in love. In him, though, in Christ. Christ doesn't come to the fullness of time. How can any human being be conformed to the image of God until the fullness of time when Christ would come so we could be holy without blame before God in love? When you go back and read the Genesis account, it said that Adam and Eve had no knowledge of good or evil. Is that the image of God? Is God clueless? They were. They were made out of stuff that's in the ground. That's why I call it the dirt. And that's a fact. That's what human beings are made out of. When you break them down to their basic elements, 
all the stuff you can find in the earth, the nitrogen and iron or salt or, I don't know, magnesium. I mean, <laughs> the human is made out of the things out of the ground. That's not the image of God. God is not. Jesus said, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. He's not material. Let us make man in our image. That is a prophetic perfect that would come to realization in the fullness of time when Christ came into the world, that we could be, we're chosen in him for this very purpose. That we would be holy and without blame. No human being. Look, Romans 8, don't forget this. Romans 8, verse 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul makes it clear. Romans 8, verse 8 and 9. Those in the flesh cannot please God, period. Period. No person in the flesh. Now, the flesh he's talking about is not your skin and bones. That's not the flesh of the context. The flesh is the sarks. Not your sacks, your sarks. That's the carnal mind. The natural man, the Bible says, cannot please God. No way. But then Paul says in the very next verse, verse 9, to the Christian, because this is written to Christians, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. End of discussion. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. i got to change your nature from a natural man to a spiritual man. You have to be born again. We've got to start you all over. That's what he's talking about. That's the only way chosen in him that we can now be holy without blame before him in love is the new man. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.26. You're no longer considered in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, he does make another point there, though, we've got to be aware of. The mind, if you continue to set your mind on the things that of, on the flesh, you will mind the things of the flesh. But the mind that is set to the spirit minds the things of the spirit. He said to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's what, all, that's what that transformation is all about. Now, 2 Corinthians 4, going to give you that Genesis 1-3 passage. You'll recognize it. Remember, he said, let there be light. Well, then there was light. Right? He divided the light uh, from the darkness. He called the light day, darkness, night, evening, morning, day one. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if our good news is veiled, if people can't see our good news, what we're saying, they're perishing, he said. They're perishing. Verse 3. It's veiled to those who are perishing. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For here you go. Here's your verse, verse 6. It is the God 
who commanded light to shine out of the darkness. That's Genesis 1-3, let there be light. Who has shown, where? In our hearts. To do what? Give the light of the knowledge. The knowledge of what? The glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. It's a treasure, he said, that you have in your earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That change that takes place in the new birth designed to do so. If you have the faith for it, that's why you have to have the faith. You have to be born again. You have to have the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, in you, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. It's interesting, Paul puts Father, Son, Holy Spirit all together in the one context. Jesus said, my Father and I will come and make our abode with you. I mean, that's just as deep, man. It blows our minds. So the light of Genesis 1-3 is what? It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ coming to a theater near you in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. Do you realize that the third verse of the Bible is telling you what the whole book is all about? Right in the third verse. It's a treasure now, the new birth, the spirit that we have in our earthen vessel because the transformation that takes place is not by your power. It cannot be done by human power. That's why Paul said, those in the flesh can't please God. It ain't going to happen. That never can happen. The human being does not possess the ability to transform himself to be holy without blame before God in love. Ain't happening. You know, the law that was given by Moses was called holy, just, and good. It was a good law, holy, just, and good. But there was a problem with it. It was fatally flawed. What the law could not do, Paul said in Romans 8.3, God did by sending Jesus in the fullness of time, of course. Can't be done until the fullness of time. Sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, it says in verse 3, on account of sin, and he condemned sin in flesh. Whose flesh? His flesh? No, our flesh. Not his flesh, our flesh. That what? That the righteous requirement of the law, the good and holy just covenant law might be fulfilled in us, not Jesus, in us who do not walk according to the flesh but the spirit. That's not Jewish. That is not Jewish. That's Christian. That's the big difference between the law of Moses, works performance based law of Moses, and faith in Jesus Christ. It's radically different. Radically different. What the law couldn't do, why? It was weak, weak, weak through the flesh. Paul said there was nothing wrong with the law. The problem was the man. The problem was the man. Well, you can do like they do in our public school system today. 
when Johnny can't read, you know, and he's in the 10th grade, just keep bringing the standard down till finally he can pass something. You say, hallelujah. There was a time that's not how that worked. You had to rise up to the standard. Well, you didn't graduate. We don't do that that way anymore. We just keep bringing the standard down till finally they can pass. Boy, are you doing the kid any favors? No. Well, what did God do? Because of the weakness of the flesh, a man couldn't keep the holy just law. Now, that's why he did append the animal sacrifices to the covenant law. The covenant law is the Ten Commandments. He knew man couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. He immediately appended to it, though, all that tedious sacrificial law of animals, washings, observances that you see in the Old Testament. But it still didn't produce practicing righteousness in humans. So God said prophetically through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 31, the, hours, the time's coming, I'm going to make a new covenant. With the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, ain't going to be like the old covenant. They didn't continue in it. I disregard them, God said. Just read it, Jeremiah 31, 31. He said, I'm going to make a new covenant. This one's going to be different. I'm going to put my law right into their mind. I'm going to write it right on their hearts. Where's he going with all that? Inward. Inward. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You heard it said, you shouldn't do it, but I say to you. you know, if you're angry with brother, you know, you know, thou should not commit murder. If you commit murder, you'll be in danger of judgment. But I say, if you even got a bad attitude against your brother, you're in danger of judgment. And don't be looking at the women. You said, he said, it's been written. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you even look and lust, you're guilty. What's he doing? Going inward. He's, he's dealing with the heart. He's dealing with, he says in Matthew chapter 15, eating with dirty hands is not what defile a man. For what defiles a man comes from, Jesus said, the heart. From the heart proceed the evil thoughts, the thefts, the murders, the fornications, the blasphemies. It comes from the heart. So it makes perfect sense. God said in the new covenant, I'm going to go right internal with this. I'm going to take my good and holy just law and take it from the outward and take it and jam it right down the inward. I'm going to put it right in their mind and write it right on their heart. That's telling you that's a characteristic of faith in Jesus Christ in the new covenant that was not present in the old covenant. He was the one making the distinction of what was going to be different about the old covenant they didn't continue in. He disregarded them because we already read the problem was the weakness of the man, not the goodness and the holiness of the law. But now he said, that law, that's the law he's talking about is fulfilled now in who? Christians who do something, who do not walk according to the flesh, but the spirit. That's what I mean. That's not Jewish. That's Christian. Radically different. Now, if you choose not to, you're not zapped. It ain't just going to happen to you walking down the street. Or it happened to you when you come out of the baptismal tank or out of the river or out of the lake. You're not zapped into that. You've been given a whole new potential. Let us make man in our image. Hey, that's a good plan. The guy out of the dirt, out of the ground? That it? 
Do you realize it says the man had no knowledge of good or evil? Because remember, that was the warning from God. They could partake all the trees in the garden except one. What? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the midst of the garden. He said, you partake of that, that's the day you die. Okay. And that, apparently Adam was cool with it, and he's the one that must have told Eve because, see, she wasn't there when God gave Adam that. She wasn't made yet. But later, obviously, she knew because when the little woman was by herself in the garden and the devil was there, Hey, didn't God say you could eat all the trees in the garden here? Yeah, he said that we could, except for one, the one in the midst of the garden. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, we do that, we'll die. He said, you ain't going to die. You surely aren't going to die, but God knows that in that day, your eyes will open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow, really? Yeah, see, he's keeping that from you. That's what he knows. You ain't going to die, but your eyes will open, and you'll be like him. That verse 22, that's what God actually said happened when they did that. The man has now become like one of us in Genesis 3.22, knowing good and evil. Now get him out of here, lest he put his hand forth to the tree of life and live forever, because he's not ready Yet, I added that part, the not ready. God did say, get him out of here, in so many words. Lest he partake of that tree and live forever in that state? No way. Not in a fallen state. So we see that the instant that man gets his eyes open is the instant that he was killed. He did die. If we understand Bible talk, there's two kinds of death. There's physical death when you literally drop dead. But then there's separation from God. Your sins and your iniquities, Jeff quoted it this morning there in Isaiah 59. It's your sins and your iniquities that separate you from God. You die like that, separated from God. You spend your eternity in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm dies not and the fire's never quenched. You don't want to die that death. Everyone dies physically. Hebrews 9 and whatever, 27. Pointed unto men once to die. And then the judgment. So the death of the body ain't nothing. Jesus said, don't fear them, kill your body. You have to have nothing else they can do. But I'll forewarn you, he said, whom you shall fear. Fear him after he had killed, has power to cast into hell. Truly I say to you, fear that. In Hebrews chapter 2, Well, I guess I said I was going to come back to that. Let's just go to 1 Corinthians 10 for a second. I'm going to jump to Hebrews chapter 2 and wrap it up here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I only picked one verse. I said I was going to give you more out of that. All that Old Testament stuff is for us. It's spiritual. How do we know? Well, Paul said, moreover, brethren, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses, the cloud, in the sea. 
They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And Paul said that rock was Christ. In the Old Testament? I've read that story a hundred times. I didn't know that was spiritual food. I didn't know that was spiritual drink. I didn't know that the one leading them and with them was Christ in the Old Testament. Apparently, because the scripture can't be broken, and Paul said that's what it is. That's why he said, I don't want you to be unaware. He said, you guys don't have any idea what the shadows of the Old Testament actually represented. And so here comes the lesson for the Christians. It says, but with most of them, when you go back and read that, God was not pleased with them. Why? Their bodies were literally scattered all over the wilderness. Boy, that's a picture for you. It's like the way God put it in Numbers chapter 14. Your carcasses will die in this wilderness. You get this picture of all these dead bodies scattered all over a wilderness. Now these things, it said, become our, put ours, Christian, he's telling Christians here, but because this is who it is written to. These things become our example, Christian examples, to the intent that we as Christians shouldn't lust after evil things as they also lusted. And, and do not become idolaters, as were some of them. It's written, the people sat down to eat, drink, rose up to play. Nor let us as Christians commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. You know, they like to talk about biblical proportions. I guess 23,000 dead in one day would be quite a, quite a big thing. Nor let us, Christians, tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, were destroyed by serpents. That's when them fiery snakes went all through the camp. God's people biting them. Nor complain, as some of them complained. They were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happen to them as examples. They're written for our admonition, for our counsel, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who think he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation is taking you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Woo! We're the ones upon whom the ages have come. The Christian dispensation is what he's talking about. From the time Christ came 2,000 years ago. I said we'll wrap it up here in Hebrews chapter 2. The Hebrew writer says that we need to give the more earnest heed then. Verse 2, or verse 1 I mean. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we, Christian must give the more earnest heed, earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels from the Old Testament proves, proves steadfast, and it was, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, and it did, well, how are we going to escape if we just neglect so great salvation, which at the first was spoken <clears throat> by the Lord himself, confirmed to us by those who heard him, the apostles. And then God bore witness. 
I mean, with signs and wonders, it says, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. How can we ignore now? They didn't escape by just disregarding it. He said, well, we don't want to be been not taking heed and then drifting away from the things that we've heard. Because the fullness of time has come. Every day from now on till this thing ends. Peter said, the end of all things is near. If you want that verse, it's in 1 Peter 4. Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 1 says these are the last days. 1 John 2, 18 says it's the last hour. <laughs> whoop, 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 whoop. Getting right down there. There's no other dispensation after this one. This one was prophesied from Jeremiah 31, 31, a new covenant. There is no covenant after this one. It's just that day, Peter said, when the heaven will pass away with a great noise, a great explosion, and the elements will be on fire, melt with fervent heat. Paul said it'll be at the shout of the archangel. I used to think that was, ready or not, here I come. But I think the shout is, the bridegroom cometh. Thank you for your attention this morning.